2: Welcome to another episode of Express Conversations, a podcast where eminent voices from the world of politics, sports, business, and the arts talk to us about their life and work and issues that really matter. In this episode, Union Minister for Women and Child Development, Smriti Irani, was in conversation with the Executive Director of the Union Express Group, Anand Goenka and the National Opinion Editor, Vandita Mishra. Changing roles have marked Smriti Irani's career. From the lead character in a prime time television series to a Lok Sabha candidate who rested the Gandhi family bastion of a in the 2019 elections, to a member of the cabinet where she, most recently, piloted the Prohibition of Child Marriage Amendment Bill of 2021, which seeks to raise the legal age for marriage for women from 18 to 21 years. Irani is now an author too. As five states go to the polls next month, Smriti Irani will be among the star campaigners for her party. Fluent in several languages, Irani has emerged as one of the BJP's most significant voices, both inside and outside the Parliament. As the Women and Child Development Minister, who earlier held the HRD and the IB portfolios, she has introduced several landmark bills in the Parliament. Her ministry also amended the Juvenile Justice Act, while the long-awaited Trafficking in Persons, Prevention, Care and Rehabilitation Bill of 2021 is to be introduced in the Parliament soon. This conversation with her ranges from the upcoming elections, education, women's issues and a lot more. Here it goes.
3: Let's start with UP because that's always the hot state and the hot topic of conversation even now. You know, you've had an incredible experience and as has been said many times, you've done something quite audacious, quite commendable as an outsider to watch. Your own experience in UP, how did that happen and where do you see the situation politically in UP today?
4: I think those who are in the know of the politics and the mechanisms of how socially UP has evolved over the years can ascertain for you a BJP victory in the forthcoming SMB elections. From my personal experience, my own grandfather, my dada is from Uttar Pradesh, from Muradabad. So my memories from the state are plenty. However, my political memories are also distinct. I've had the greatest privilege of serving in the Constituency Lok Sabha Amethi, which is quite interesting demographically also, because one Vidhan Sabha of Amethi lies in Janpad Bareli. So it's not as if uh, Amethi is uh, too far from the political precipice of Bareli. We find that it's intertwined between these two districts and a smattering of a few villages from Sultanpur. So if you look at the positioning of Amethi today, It has uh, a female MP, but then there is one in Raibu and one in Sultanpur as well. I've had the privilege of uh, contesting from Amethi in the year 2014. And uh, I had just 22 to 25 days of contest then. And BJP had never clocked more than 30,000 votes. But in that 22 to 25 days, our transition was from 30,000 votes to 3 lakh votes. And that in itself was significant for me personally. For me, it meant as though there were people waiting for change. There were people waiting for an option. And I knew the social circumstances of those who voted against the Gandhis. Many were ostracized for years. Many were brought to many illegal methodologies of pressurizing them to walk the straight Gandhi family line. I knew how difficult and what a challenge it was for those voters to come out. And it was a promise for me that I will stay with them for the next five years till BJP pronounced a new candidate. I kept saying that I do not know who the candidate will be, but I asserted that whoever it be, BJP will win the seat. It, yes, sounds audacious. At that time, it sounded as an impossibility, but my belief stemmed from the people's participation that I saw around me. I'm grateful that my party considered me yet again as a candidate from a Métis. And we could bring victory to the Bharatiya Janata Party there. Like the former MP of Amethi, I would not make disparaging comments about the citizens of Amethi. They have been more than warm. They've been more than kind. And it's been an absolute privilege to serve them.
1: Ma'am, uh, you were defeated once and yet you came back and then you won such a famous victory in Amethi. You defeated a Gandhi in the Gandhi Bastion. You are also one of the BJP's star campaigners. Not just in UP, you would be a star campaigner wherever elections take place. But particularly in UP, given your connection now, are you also worried at the kind of campaigning that we are seeing already that has begun? Like, you know, the latest uh, we heard was that uh, the chief minister said that it would be a contest between 80 percent and 20 percent. So are you worried that there is an escalating polarization that has begun already?
4: I don't know why you do not see polarization when the Samajwadi party leader speaks about seeing Lord Krishna in his dreams. I don't know why you don't see polarization when you have Mrs. Vadra go and pay respects at a mosque. I don't see why you don't see polarization when Mr. Gandhi wears a janay over his coat. Why the taunt of polarization or the question thus posed only with regards or in reflection of a BJP leader. That... Mr. Yogi has embraced the Hindutva way of life is not unknown to anyone. And it is his uh, position irrespective of his politics. But I think that the fundamental basic foundation on which the UP elections are being fought are on the issues of development. One cannot deny the number of interventions that have become a part and parcel of everyday life in UP, which oscillates from, let's say, construction of homes for the poor. In fact, my district was position number one in the entire country under the Pradhan Mantri Grave Awas Yojana. And there are many such accolades that have been brought to the UP administration. But one must recognize that we've had five years in governance and in seva, and we have tried to bring these fruits of development to an area where issues of development were not of political or electoral significance. So I'm grateful that today, in the electoral battlefield of the Pradesh, Issues of development have become significant. The fact, like, albeit mistakenly over a court, signifies that they are trying to polarize the election. I wonder why that reflection is not given these kind of leaders in Uttar Pradesh. So,
1: ma'am, even if we include Rahul Gandhi and Yadav, what they say, I'm saying in the bigger picture, when you look at UP, do you worry that these voices that Increase polarization will drown out the other issues there. I don't think that uh, any issue
4: will deflect from the issue of development. I think as a part of a conversation, if you have a question posed to a political leader and a response is possibly introspected upon or for that matter dissected, you may find some headlines in it. However, if you've seen most of the conversations of the Chief Minister of the Pradesh, for that matter, the BJP leadership, they have stemmed from issues of development. And I reiterate, like I said, that this entire election will be fought on the issue of development. So when I speak about how the issue of development is central to the Uttar Pradesh politics or the governance model of the Bharatiya Janta Party, I must remind you that recently the Chief Minister was in my constituency. And we spoke about infrastructure, which was never built in a constituency, which saw the Gandhi family for 50 years, a family that had befriended every political organization in the state of Uttar Pradesh. Samajwadi Party and BSP were extremely close to the Gandhi family and they were a part of a coalition government. However, to keep the fruits of development away from people, given their political partnerships, is something matter of conversation among citizens, amongst voters. So I don't think you can deny that this election is as much about development as much it is about the bad legacy of governance with regards to Samajwadi Party or the Congress Party.
3: And Smittyji, the idea of women as a vote bank, is this something which we're seeing this something becoming more and more in your face across the country?
4: I think women as a vote bank has been considered only by those who have suddenly discovered the fact that, yes, women have been more than aggressive about their political opinions, or for that matter, their vote. But when the Prime Minister came to office in the year 2014, building toilets was not a part of a political manifesto. Yeah, it was a way of life that needed to be addressed in terms of challenges that women feel yeah. or face. Now, there are certain political voices who say, kya hua agar toilet bana I believe one such interview has just been given on India today. And I think those who have the comfort of having a commode every morning waiting for them will never understand the struggles of poor women and their families. So for me, what has been extremely, I think, heartfelt and hopeful as a female politician, or for that matter, a politician per se from a family which did not come from very strong economic means, it is heartening to see a prime minister who put the women's agenda at the top of his priorities in terms of governance. Now, recognize that this happened in 2014 after he had won the election. Sure, so it was not sure. an election plan. Sure. It was not an election promise. And there was no need for him to India himself a particular segment of society. In the year 2014, if you remember when the Prime Minister came to office, we only had 28% women who had a bank account, savings bank account. Now, that was not a priority for any other government. I am grateful that the Prime Minister prioritized that to ensure that there is financial independence that is accorded to women. And these are women who also were never allowed access to credit for small enterprises. The resounding success of how Mudra was accessed by women in this country, especially those who operate small businesses, is a matter for celebration for everybody. And like I said, let me reiterate, let me remind you, these were initiatives that the Prime Minister undertook when he just came into office. Right. My belief is as a vote bank, he did so because he believed that women of our country deserve better. And that they are right. equal partners and participants in the development of our country.
3: Right. No, absolutely. I think my question is more the fact that people are discovering this now, other political parties. Maybe Modiji didn't look at that in 2014. Is there a change you think or was that always the case? Like were women always voting independently, you know, independent of how their families voted? Or is that something which is now new and even which is now more pronounced than it was before?
4: One cannot disregard that there have been segments in our community where women have been compelled to vote in a particular way. But I think that this new India is about women understanding their right to choose on political parties on the basis of issues of development. And I'm grateful that that discourse that when you go to vote, you do so on Vigli sarakpani. Was first introduced in Indian polity by Bihari Vajpayee. Right. The fact that Narendra Modi has built so wonderfully on that legacy is a matter of great joy for us as characters.
3: But how do you think that this changes how politics and how, how politicians kind of campaign in India? I mean, especially in UP and Bihar, you know, there's a basic caste arithmetic that everybody kind of talks about, and we can't deny that. Do you think that this new involvement, like you're calling it, the new India where women are coming, is that going to question the old ways that we kind of thought about elections?
4: I think it was a distinct privilege to introduce the Amendment to the Prohibition of Child Marriage Act. When I spoke about the need for women to have an equal right as that of a man to enter into matrimony at the age of 21, there was support from across the nation, from women across all communities and all religions. The only naysayers were the men who were in that house making that noise. And I think what is a matter of great satisfaction for me, particularly as a political representative of my party, is that we spoke in one voice about the need for women to have that right across all religions. And I think that when it comes to such issues, we have seen women congregate, and forcibly so, because they recognize that there is a need for these kind of interventions from a governance and policy point of view. As far as the politics goes, I think political parties who have just woken up to the power of the average Indian woman, well, I will only say this, that you do so From a desire to save your own political estate. The fact that Narendra Modi did so because he believes that women are equal beneficiaries in the rise
1: of the new India is what makes him a different leader. Ma'am, you spoke about the bill in which the marriageable age has been raised from 18 to 21 for women. The bill is well-intentioned. I think everybody agrees on that. But there has been conversation, there have been questions raised about some of the unintended consequences that could be. For instance, there are already many, many marriages that would now be criminalized. That is one of the greatest rumors that has been spread. And it would do
4: society a great harm if we propagate that rumor further. Those who seek to disenfranchise women with regards to the right to equality are those who are
1: propagating this falsehood. Ma'am, the worries are that this kind of criminalization would disproportionately affect How is it criminal criminal for a woman to have equal rights to enter into matrimony as that of a man? Those Mm -hmm. marriages that will now... Those marriages, madam,
4: firstly, it is prohibited to marry under the age of 18. Secondly, like I said, this announcement that marriages will be criminalized is a falsehood. So my request be
1: for you to not propagate fake news. What about the fact that, I mean, the criticism that more power is being given to families and the state vis-a-vis the women. More power is being given to the women concerned. At 18, a woman is an adult and should she not have the right to decide when she wants to Why should
4: a woman not have a right to decide at 21?
1: No and why should all women of all religions and communities
4: not have that right to equality? The question is, why should she not have that right at 18? Madam, currently, when you look at all the numbers of the National Family Health Survey, you find that close to 7% girls between the age of 15 and 18 are already pregnant. When the survey looked at women at the age of 24, they found... Close to 23% of them were married under the age of 18. The fact that 75 years in our country of independence, women and men did not enter into matrimony at the same age is a matter of deep regret. And that is why when I went to the House to introduce that amendment, I did so believing, and I do so again today, pronounce that it is the right to equality that manifests itself through the amendment. To say a woman does not have equal rights to that of a man is something that I cannot support. To say that if I empower legislation, a woman's equal right to enter matrimony
1: as that of a man. is my right, and I think my constitutional responsibility. What has also been said, ma'am, is that uh, there is a clear link, there is no clear link between age of marriage and empowerment of women at the moment, but there is a very clear link between education and delayed marriage. So why would the government not focus its energies on that? The national education policy after a three-decade wait
4: was overhauled and presented to the country. I again was privileged that I was part of the first draft of the national education policy. And if you look at the national education policy for the first time in the history of our country, we have a gender inclusion fund, which ensures that there is capital expenditure which supports the girl-child and education for young women in higher education institutions. Hence the charge that we are not as a government focusing on education of women, especially young girls, the charge which is false. I think one of the greatest issues which were before 2014 considered by many organizations in the social sector was the fact that girls would drop out after standard age because of the lack of toilets in schools. And I'm again, like I said, privileged that as Minister Education then in 2014, Within one year, over 4 lakh toilets separately were built across government schools in the country at the clarion call of the Honorable Prime Minister. So to say that the government has not in totality serviced the cause of young girls and women is, again, like I said, a falsehood. I would remind you, be it the Gender Inclusion Fund under the National Education Policy, Building separate infrastructure and toilets in support of girl child staying back in school and reducing dropout, be it Mudra Yojana, be it ensuring vocational training, or even for that matter, since we digitally do this, Adda, let me say, when the Prime Minister pronounced the Digital India program, I remember there were many sniggers in the opposition. But today I am happy to report to you that over two crore women especially from rural India, now have been made digitally literate under the Pradhan Mantri Disha program.
3: If I can just maybe again go back to the larger picture here about the role of women in India because you're sitting on a ministry which is clearly a subject area where the prime minister is a lot of time and effort on. Your vantage point as somebody who was India's favorite Bahu and played that role and now you're in this position in government. What are the few things that you think that you would like to urgently focus on in regards the role that women play in society, the role that women play in families in India today? How much has that improved from what you think it should have in the past? And where do you see it going?
1: Three things,
4: Anand. Firstly, you should never ask a politician what families should be doing. I think our democracy ensures that we in government look at governance issues and families are left to function in a free democratic country as long as no family member breaks the law. I think that there is also a great disservice to the Prime Minister's governance agenda if we think that he's myopic enough only to look at the Women and Child Development Ministry as a ministry in service of women and children of the country. What has been extremely gracious is to see the entire government across all departments look at the female quotient of service. So as was pronounced in the last budget, the gender budgeting, I think, surface of each ministry is under evaluation and our report is to be given to the finance ministry, which means that when a road is built what are the number of toilets made available to women through that journey is a matter of consideration for governments at the center and the states. When we talk about, let's say, medical education, or for that matter, even the health systems of our country today, there was a pronouncement falsely made that maybe there is a gender divide in how the vaccine is being made available, which was turned out to be an absolute falsehood. So I think that when you look at the government in totality, what brings me great satisfaction is the fact that women are at the fulcrum of Modi Modiji's governance agenda. Insofar as how do I personally see women's roles evolve? I think that there are two, three areas which need consideration. And I had done this on a personal level. I asked a lot of women who have corporate jobs, some who are top not CEOs, whether they are in control of their money. And many said that they make financial decisions only up to a certain amount in their own personal lives, but leave the rest for others to consider. Which means that when it comes to decisions and voices on the table, yes, we have now more and more women becoming part of the decision-making process. But for me, true, true empowerment is about how much of a control do you have on your own capital. For that matter, How many, let's say, assets do you own? And how much it is your decision to have that ownership? So for me, when the Prime Minister announced his housing policy, what made me extremely jubilant was the fact that he insisted that the right of ownership be given to women as well. And that has been, if you look at his governance journey from Gujarat, that has been his policy even when he was Chief Minister of Gujarat. And if you look at even the gross enrollment ratio for young girls, that has gone up. But if you look at women and their administrative positions today, though gender indices disregard the participation of women in the grassroots, for us to be now a part of a government which has the highest contingent of female ministers and a party which has the highest amount of female MPs in parliament, yes, we've taken significant steps. But I also agree that we all want to be a part of a process where we see more and more roles defined for women.
1: Ma'am, uh, since we are on the subject of women, there is a question, you know, which has to do about a story that is playing out right now over the last few days on our, in our newspaper pages. The Delhi police has arrested, made an arrest of a 25-year-old graduate from Indore. Four days ago, two engineering students and a Delhi University student was also arrested. So they are being arrested in the case of an app which posted doctored photos of Muslim women and put them up for some kind of an auction. Are you worried as the Minister for Women and somebody who's also so articulate on women's issues of the kind of radicalization into hate that seems to be many of our young seem to be falling prey to? Because these are young people. I'm at the receiving end of it by no less than
4: the Vadra family member. No, so. am politically a- at the receiving end of it. Since you are have- a congressman right. feel that it's their ladder to success, I had the opportunity of pronouncing that the Ministry of Home Affairs. And I'm grateful to the Home Minister who ensured that those who are adjudged criminals in cases of sexual assault of children, in fact, are brought together as a part of one component where there is tracking system for such criminals. I believe that the Ministry of Home Affairs has 7 lakh such individuals who have been accused of sexual assault and crimes. So that when I time and again appeal that if you are hiring somebody in an educational institution, If you are hiring people where women and children are around, please do a police verification. It stems from this particular mechanism which is available with the Home Ministry to do a cross-match of individuals so that people who have been charged with such crimes do not find employment around the vulnerable segments of our society. When I, as Minister in the Modi government, part one, came into office, we knew that the Nirbhaya Fund was not utilized at all by the erstwhile UPA government. Since 2014 till this day, as we speak, over 9,000 crores worth of projects have been evaluated and money has been given to states since law and order is a state issue. We, and I'm grateful to my colleagues in the law ministry, we set up over 1,063 fast track courts under which we have made sure that one and a half lakh cases were pending. We had a resolution in the past one and a half years of over 60,000 cases. That was the last time I checked the data. The current data will be available with the Law and Justice Ministry. I must say here that if you today, and I've had this active engagement with the Ministry of IT and Telecom as well, that women, irrespective of their religion, have been denied their dignity on social media platforms. And I am grateful that the police is investigating this issue. I am absolutely confident that those who are guilty will be punished. My desire is also this. I had the privilege of engaging with the Supreme Court justices is to ensure that we expedite cases. The law provides for an expeditious, I think, pronouncement. But there has been a laxity given the burden on the courts in our country. But I'm hopeful that between the police systems and the judiciary, more and more cases where women receive justice are brought to light. But I also need to use this platform to tell people that This is an issue on which, irrespective of our politics, we need to come together. I had spoken when the Nirbhya issue had come to fore in the nation's conscience. And at that time, if you remember, there was a conversation around what impact is created on the minds of the young when they have access to pornographic material. That time, there were a few people who poo pooed the idea and said, not much, but women knew. And I think it's time to revisit that conversation. But do women get explicitly objectified only through one app? No. As we, as I came to this conversation, I had a world champion, Ms. who is who was demeaned for her political position, no less by a so-called popular actor, a man who would have known better. So I think we need to look at the issue holistically, that are only men who are caught the ones that we need to be concerned about are those who deny the right to a woman to speak, like Miss Neval had a point of view, but she was demeaned and objectified. Should such men then be brought to
1: justice as well? Ma'am, you've been at the receiving end of misogyny. So my question is that from the time that you entered politics to now, have you seen this change? Have you seen anything that gives you hope that things are changing for the better in terms of the misogyny in politics today? I think that when you only limit misogyny to politics,
4: tackle the issue in a very limited fashion. Misogyny is something that is, uh, no woman in any walk of life is bereft of it. What brings me great hope is the fact that we are today open enough to converse about it. What brings me a little bit of satisfaction is that when such issues come to the fore, women are no longer completely demeaned. So this is for all individuals who stand up for women, irrespective of their politics or their ideology. For a woman's right to speak up, speak out. But I also hope, Pandita, that women, like I said, it is not a left-wing, right-wing matter. But I hope that there is enough outrage when women, irrespective of their political use and religion, are given that same amount of protection, are given that same amount of consideration that you give today to, let's say, as a part of this particular question
3: because she spoke so much about, you know, just misogyny and just, I guess, societal misogyny and just not, you know, going outside of politics. I want to just bring you back. You know, we had a conversation with you under the screen banners nine years ago. I was in the audience then. I won't waste time queuing up the video because we we're running a little short of time. But, you know, you said something very interesting that, that kind of struck me then. And I want to bring that up and kind of connect that to this conversation. You said then that you found it empowering, to be a television actor more than in cinema, that being an actor in TV was more empowering than cinema. And I was very surprised to hear that because my impression of Indian television was that, you know, it's largely quite regressive, especially when it comes to treatment of women, the way women are portrayed in media has always been like that. And I always thought that it was actually cinema that was actually pushing the envelope, but you said it the other way. I would like to ask you your view on that and your view on the evolution of women in media, especially now in the OTT world.
4: I think my position still stands uh, because in television, at least when I operated in television, we received a paycheck on the basis of how and what we brought commercially to the table. Just because uh, we had a man at the table with us, that did not mean that we did not negotiate as hard, probably at many a times harder than the men of the table. I remember when I started my work, I was paid 2,000 rupees and uh, the male actor was paid five times the amount. And when I asked the question why, I was told, well, you don't have credentials now. So we will look at a pay packet rise only after you gain some merits or laurels. And I remember going back to the drawing board and negotiate a year later. And I said, well, I think I'm doing better than the man now. And by the time I was done with television, I had absolutely no shame in saying that I was one of the highest paid actors, not female actor, but actors in television. I think that's what television brought to us. The fact that we could negotiate, uh, the fact that we could not have the burden of mincing words The fact that we knew, irrespective of the programs that we were doing, that we were carrying it on our shoulders, that is what made us feel very empowered in television. We knew that women in films at that time had to play, let's say, second fiddle. And not only as actors, but even as producers, I have a lot of friends who are producing in the film business then, as they are now. They don't have it easy now as well. It is extremely difficult. But I think that, The fact that we could afford that audacity is what I meant then. And I stand by it even today. That women who can succeed can afford to be audacious in the media business. That stands irrespective of whether you are
1: writing
3: or whether you are acting
1: or whether you are producing.
3: Maybe it's a good time to talk about the female character and bring up the book, Vadita, maybe we can...
1: So, ma'am, the book is a very racy read. I couldn't put it down once I started. You know, it's written in very clear and it's prose that moves constantly, moves you from one scene to the other. It's almost cinematic in the imagery that you use. I think it would make a film script one day, maybe. But there's a question, there has been a shift from the time that Manmohan Singh talked about Naxalism as uh, the greatest or the gravest internal security threat to the Modi government, where there has been a sort of a shift of focus from Naxalism per se to what the the coinage has been the urban Naxal. And in your book, there is for all the twists and turns and the surprises There is a clear hero and there is a clear villain. The clear hero is, of course, the SP, Vikram Singh, who's the policeman. And the villain is this Delhi University academic who uh, I think his name was Prakash Padmanabh in the book. So Prakash Padmanabh is this uh, fictional character who's a university professor, much awarded, writes for international journals, writes anti-establishment pieces also, and is accused in the book of being a funder and a coordinator and a recruiter of Naxos. So when you were writing in this fictional place of Ambuja, that you were taking a lot from this political shift in focus that came underway in the Modi government in the tenure? I didn't look at the book from a political prism at all. And especially
4: not with regards to the transition that you so proscribed today between Mr. Manmohan Singh and Prime Minister Modi. I think that the book, and I've said this openly, has stemmed from a political television debate a decade ago, where one of the panelists was very... Of Handish about how they spoke about paramilitary forces who met a gruesome death during an at- Naxal attack. For me, the rage stemmed from the nonchalance with which the lives of our paramilitary forces were spoken of. Now when you talk about the way you pronounce the villain to be, his uh, crime is not writing journals. His crime is not writing a piece or an article. His crime is actively recruiting people. And arming them against the Indian state. You bring them together in one way. It is not, I think, a tad bill well acceptable to romanticize and reduce the seriousness of those who recruit youngsters to take up arms against the Indian state or bring to death paramilitary forces. So I think one needs to register the seriousness with which certain characters have been etched. If you try to find a consonance with them with real life characters, I will just say this. This is a fiction. The fact that you look for facts in it, I think gives me a modicum of success as a writer. The fact that I compel you to find real life examples about characters that are fictionally written about, for me, gives me great satisfaction as a writer. The fact that somebody who is as celebrated as you as a journalist
1: will do so, again, for me, is a feather in a cap which is still not Publicly visible. You've spoken, even now, you spoke of the rage that you felt. So has this been a cathartic exercise for you, getting the novel out? Do you feel less angry now? It is. Because I know when you lose a loved one who's sorry.
4: And like I said, the nonchalance is what enraged. I lost somebody that I looked up to personally, recently, who served in the armed forces. And I have looked at those families in their eyes. And I see that emptiness, that loss, that grief. To have nothing less but gratitude for them, for me, would be an abomination. And that is why the rage ebbed when I could write Lung But this is not a position that I have limited to a book. What I feel for men and women in the armed forces, or for that matter, paramilitary forces, is a belief that I have held for decades, as long as I've been a conscious adult, to have a part of it manifest in a book. Is I think a happenstance, especially with an editor who has been more than kind to ensure that my words are not curbed in any fashion whatsoever.
1: Just one more question on the book. If a book of fiction is not just to give answers, but also to raise questions, for you, what is the puzzle that you were left with as a writer? What is the question that you would want your reader to be, you know, left with when they read the book? No, I want them to find the answer. (laughs) The book may begin with
4: questions. But there is an answer somewhere there for people who have taken the pains of picking it up and flipping through the pages. So to all those who have given their time to read it, you have my gratitude. Because it not only stemmed from rage, it brings a modicum of solace. That it is a story that needed to be told, especially of officers who have within the realms of law given much to our country. Many of them are unheard of, their sacrifice is unspoken, and I think it's a tribute to them. So everybody who picks up the book and joins me in that tribute, like I said, has my gratitude.
3: Spideeji, you know, you mentioned about your editor and I watched a couple of your interviews on the book before this and you've used the word left-wing for her, if I, if I remember right. She's a leftist in her, in her ideas and thoughts. Do you find more and more, and I'm not talking BJP Congress, I'm actually trying very hard not to get BJP Congress involved, but I'm going but, but to keep going but there. But there's barely
4: any Congress for you to pull into the conversation.
3: That's, true. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Uh, No, but I'm saying this idea of polarization. Are you finding it, because I am, are you finding it I mean, almost every part of the world? You know, society is getting more and more polarized. And, you know, whether it's your family WhatsApp group or your pool reunion that you'll go to, that moment any conversation kind of gets into an extremely polarized environment, people are constantly baiting you to pick a side. You know, are you with us or against us? Do you agree that this is kind of happening in society?
4: I think, Anand, now there is a voice which is talking back. Earlier, there were voices which were
3: in monologue. Is that what you would call the right-wing voice that's talking back?
4: Like I said, earlier there was only a monologue. Now there's a voice talking back. And I think that is what has befuddled many. Why are you talking back? There are many who thought that they are the epitome of intelligentsia. Now they are being challenged. Forget WhatsApp groups, but even on Twitter. So I think those who recognize that the starkness of the polarity that you speak about can be reduced if everybody is waiting or wanting to give a listen. I think that is where conversations can begin. Like I said, my editor is absolutely left wing. One of the people who introduced my book recently as a journalist, again, is from that particular ideology. Then another who interviewed me was a centrist. The fact is the celebration of a true democracy is that irrespective of our ideologies, if we can come together and become a part of conversation. And I think if we can just entertain a thought just for the sake of that conversation, I think that is our true tribute and contribution to a growing and healthy democracy. For me as an individual, it doesn't matter what your ideology is. I said this even when I became Amethi MP. My first visit to Amethi as MP and I said, I'm here to work for those who voted for me and also those who did not vote for me. For me as an individual, what matters is, as long as you do not demean my country and say Bharat, I couldn't care less what ideology you propose or you aspire to. As long as you follow the law, for me as an individual, that's what, as long as you give respect to my constitution, that is what matters. So I think that yes, world over, you see this stock divide, but in India, in WhatsApp groups, it's not only politics that brings about family issues. There was a time when even serials like mine could trigger a little reward.
3: Oh, yeah, more than a little. I mean, (laughs) I... I, I've heard of a lot of stories as your know, episodes would air and what would happen then. No, but I mean, I just want to just ask this one specific question. Percy, do you accept this left-right kind of way that we segment all voices in India? I mean, do you agree with this broad left-right segmentation? Because I often interact with people, especially on the RSS, who just don't agree with this left-right in India.
4: I think the celebration of a democracy is when we all agree to disagree.
3: No, but so is you there, may look there, at a you, you left and right, in... they
4: may be right of left, left of right, right of center. There are all kinds of thought processes. And the basic way of life that we've seen in India is that when you say Vasudeva Kutumbakam, it's about an amalgamation of all kinds of thoughts and beliefs. So if we can aspire that for the world, why
1: shouldn't we aspire it for our own people? but when we talk of polarization and the fact that it is becoming difficult to have conversations in which there is mutual respect and reciprocity, this whole uh, spectacle that we, we saw in the aftermath of that serious security lapse which happened in the prime minister's security in Punjab. So there was a grave lapse that happened. But in the aftermath, I mean, if we forget for a minute that it was you who was addressing that press conference on behalf of the government. But if you look at it from the outside, you have one side which is saying that Another elected government deliberately put the prime minister in the way of physical harm, and then you have the elected government, you know, hitting back and saying, "So what? Nothing happened, really, and why oh, should? So, you know, so why firstly, whatever. that
4: means so what is an understanding that yes, you put the prime minister in no. harm's way, but so no. what? No, of course they're firstly, not. I speak on behalf of my party and not on behalf of the government.
1: Yeah, but I think that it is a matter <laughs> of great despair. Could I just complete my question? My question is that uh, when there is something as serious as this, why could we not have professionals come in? There is a probe that was set up by the center. There is a probe set up by the Punjab government. Now there is a probe that the Supreme Court says it will supervise. So why can we not leave it to the professionals? And why should we have this kind of a blame laying to the extent where one government says the other government has deliberately put the Prime Minister in harm's way. I stand by my statement. That's the end of conversation then. You know, there is...
4: I think that when you put put forth matters of fact, that is not the end of the conversation. Now the fact will come out of the probe. And how would you know that my position is wrong? We will know once the probe comes out. I'm saying why do I I spoke on the basis of... I spoke on the basis of inputs available in the public domain. Are you telling me I am to be reduced now for taking a position which stemmed from concern with regards to the Prime Minister's security and a security breach that the entire world watched and is to be reduced because the other party had something to say about it? Why was there no headline about the fact? Why is the Chief Minister of a State giving the Congress General Secretary a security brief on the Prime Minister's breach? When has that ever happened? What security clearance did Mrs. Vajra have? Why would you give the details of the Prime Minister's security breach to an individual c- citizen who's had absolutely no security clearance? And no. how is that not a headline for your newspaper? Ma'am, there are many questions here, but what I'm saying no, is... No. My no. question is very simple, Vandita Ji. Why is that not a headline? The Indian Express prides itself in asking questions. Why was that question not posed? Why would a chief minister brief an individual citizen about the Prime Minister's security
1: breach? An individual who does not have security clearance. Ma'am, there are surely larger questions here. Why did the security breach happen? That is the larger Why did the DGP
4: lie? So that is why I'm saying so my position stemmed from the fact that these were facts available in the public domain. To say that my facts have inconvenienced certain people, well, they are answerable on those issues. To say that if I position those facts I'm party to polarization would be a naive way to look at a serious issue like the Prime Minister's security breach.
3: I think let's, um, we've got audience Q&A and I also have a rapid fire for you, smithiji Ji. You um, also sound
4: like Karan Johar, Ranant. I hope you have a hand for it.
3: <laughs> okay, I will get one couriered across to Delhi. <laughs> let's start with a rapid fire and smithiji Ji, the idea, yes, I'm completely copying Karan Johar's uh, format, but I find that. Rapid fires work for people who are also not in entertainment. Although you are, you've also been an entertainment, and it's quite fun. Quick answer: Whatever comes to you first. Sony and Z merger. You work with both of those channels. Is it good or bad for content creators?
4: I would stay out of the realm because I'm in a position where I'm governing certain aspects, and as a former INB minister, more so, should be out of comments on this issue. I think, but content creators are most supported when there is democratization of means. When there is centralization of resources that in fact stifles creativity.
3: So you're saying you're concerned then about the concentration of power? No, the- I have the-
4: absolutely no comments to make on corporate mergers. None of my business.
3: HRD, Women and Child Development, which is your favorite? Both. Okay. Tulsi in Kyoki, sasvi Bahuti or Sita in Ramayan, which is your most cherished role? Both.
4: In Ramayana, I had the opportunity of working with B.R. Chopra and yes, Chopra and Ravi Chopra. I think that legacy, very few have had the, I think, benefit of working with such legends.
3: You're not winning the hamper as of now, I want to tell you. doesn't
4: <laughs> matter. I'm in governance Anam. Can you imagine me taking a hamper from a newspaper <laughs> publisher?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That would be
4: a controversy.
3: Yeah, The one lesson India... That is how Arda to...
4: will make it to the times of India. Hmm. <laughs>
3: Uh, our last adab Ravi Shastri, got made to a whole bunch of newspapers. But uh, but anyway, the one lesson India's favorite Bahu is going to give the 2B Bahu. Which Bahu? You've announced that you're, uh, that you're going to be a mother. I'm getting a
4: damad, I'm not
3: getting a Bahu. So what advice would you give to from, from one Bahu to the other?
4: Is to not listen to your mother-in-law. <laughs> it's quite controversial. Is to make sure that you live happily and give equal respect to your partner. And is okay. to make sure that you
3: prosper. That's it. We play a small game in the rapid fire. One achievement and one regret.
4: I live a life of no
3: regrets. Fair. And so as far as
4: achievements, I have beautiful kids. And for me, they are the hallmark of my success. I would, I, would, I, I would be good individuals.
3: And I've heard so much so many wonderful things. So I would like to actually break this achievement or regret, and we can call it something else if you like, as for your kind of career. So an achievement and a regret as a mother.
4: None. No regrets. Insofar achievement? as achievements, I think the fact, like I said, I have two children who've turned out to be amazing human beings. That for any parent is an achievement. Because you can give your children the best in the world. If they turn out to be the worst of human beings, then I think that's a burden not only for your family to carry, but society at heart. So I'm grateful that I have loving kids who've been more than respectful of their elders and who have contributed much back
3: to society. As a new father, I can agree with what you just said. Achievement, regret as an actor? None. No regrets. one achievement that you're proud of is an actor
4: I think that I' I've, I've done television theater, I have also done films so there isn't a realm in terms of the media business that I've not been a part of, including reporting for elections for a particular news channel so well, if, I, actually, uh, I
3: didn't know that I didn't know that at all. Can you reveal which channel this was or?
4: I actually worked for Z, not one okay. of your favorite <laughs> but I worked for Z. Okay. And uh, there was a time when I worked for TV as well.
3: Okay.
4: okay. So I've, I've been there, done that.
3: Any unfinished business as an actor? None. I never look back. The one achievement closest to your heart as a politician.
4: I think that for me in education, the fact that I could bring to life the national education policy and engage almost every facet of education, including administration into it, The fact that the first national framework for ranking of higher education institutions in the country was with the prime minister's blessings and established by me. The fact that I could bring to life many such capital investments for the country. But I think as a politician recently, especially given COVID, the prime minister was more than kind to trust our capacities in textiles, a country which never manufactured a single piece of PPE suits. We managed from March to may become the world's second largest exporters in PPE. The fact that i had an amazing team at Textiles and we partnered with industry across the country. From zero, we went to 1,100 companies in just three months. That was, I think, a significant achievement. It's a reflection of my country's capacity to turn around and manufacture when the entire world was in lockdown. So for me, the policy interventions in education, And the PP success story in textiles is something that I closely hold to my heart.
3: And you didn't say Amethi in this answer.
4: Well, Amethi for me is not mere politics. It's a life process. And that is why for me, you look at Amethi from the 2019 success. That's seven years of my life. And I look at it as a, a journey with the people that I care about. So I don't look at it politically. I look at it as a part of my personal
3: journey. Okay. Well, looking back, is there anything you feel you would like to redo, finish, you a mistake, anything you feel in your career as a politician, uh, something you've learned from a mistake you're happy you made?
4: No, I I, I think in totality we are people who are an assimilation of our successes and our
3: failures. Is there one uh, that that, the that tenacity
4: kind of... with which I stood up in 2014 when the entire Bharatiya Janata Party had won and lost to methi and said. To the media gathered there, don't worry, we will win in 19. The media gathered there was more than kind. They said, let it be. But I knew what awaited me and my party in five years. So if you ask me today, do I regret any facet of my life? I don't. I'm here today, irrespective of my failures and my successes.
2: You were listening to Smriti Rani on Express Conversations. If you like the episode, do share it on your social media handles. And if you have any feedback for us, please do write at podcasts at indianexpress.com.